If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You know, a little while ago, we were having some conversations around pet health on the podcast. It was like part of the, one of the intros of our, yeah. one of our Q&A episodes. And we were speculating on like cancer rates and illness rates amongst pets and, and how we thought that they may be going up. And so I went home and did a bunch of research and I was shocked at how little information there is on this. Like I, I couldn't figure out, I, there was nowhere where I could find cancer rates for dogs and how they've been trending or changing. Couldn't find much at all, but I did find um, somebody who is a part of these studies working with pets where they're utilizing the ketogenic diet to um, to treat cancers and manage cancers. And so we have uh, somebody coming on the show or somebody on the show that you can hear us talking to who does this stuff. Her name is Victoria Field. Great conversation. I, what a, I enjoyed it. What a treat. I actually uh, was not ready for that that conversation. And how how neat was it that we didn't even know uh, her affiliation with uh, IFBB and how she competed and that kind of led her down this path of diving into nutrition. Yeah, um, she has a lot of the same contacts as us, uh, Tom, Bill, you, right. and you know Quest Nutrition and uh, Dom D'Agostino. and so yeah, she was she was a very sharp, uh, intelligent guest. It was great. Yeah, so she she was a part of uh, the Keto Pet Sanctuary, which was this where they, they, they saved uh, some animals, about 40 of them, and then they used the ketogenic diet to see how it would help these animals, and they found that it did help uh, quite a few of them. Um, and now she's a part of kind of this movement in uh, at looking at diet as a way to combat and manage uh, some of these chronic diseases in both pets and in humans. Uh, if you want, you can actually go on the website, ketopetsanctuary.com, to learn more about that. Then you can find out more about Victoria Field. That's who we're going to talk to. You can find her on Instagram at Keto Pet. You can also find her at Victoria underscore Field underscore. And then she's a part of the Metabolic Health Summit. That's going to be happening, uh, I think, at the end of January uh, next year, where there's going to be some pretty amazing speakers talking about just metabolic processes and how to change food and how to supplement in order to treat certain conditions and just improve general health, it's kind of a who's who uh, in that field um, that will be speaking there. And we got invited. I don't know if we'll be able to make it, but it's uh, pretty interesting. You we can, may be partying. We'll see. Yeah, we might <laughs> yeah, be in Vegas. That, that might be what we're doing. Uh, this is a must listen if you have if you have pets, in my opinion. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now, you can find out more about Meta, uh, the Metabolic Health Summit at MetabolicHealthSummit.com or on their Instagram page at Metabolic Health Summit. I also want to mention that there's only four days left for our new program, Promo, MAPS Starter. This was a program designed for beginners or for people who want to build muscle, don't have a lot of experience, and want to work out at home. All you need are dumbbells and a physio ball. It takes you from stability all the way to conditioning and strength. It's how we would train somebody who's deconditioned or a beginner, so it's perfect uh, for people who are just getting started with resistance training, I want to reap the benefits. Parents also- and friends, everybody else you can think of that you know, uh, you want to get them started on the right path. This is a perfect program to finally give them. And it's- the first program that we've done where you can actually follow along, which is kind of cool. Yep, yep. It's a great first workout program with weights too. So if you have kids now that are teens that want to start lifting weights, 
but you want to make sure they do it the right way and the safe way. It's a great program for them as well. So there's four days left for the launch promotion, which is $20 off. Now, if you want to learn more about Maps Starter, just go to mapsstarter.com. That's M-A-P-S-S-T-A-R-T-E-R. So it's double S.com. And then use the code STARTER20 for $20 off. It includes a free Maps Starter t-shirt and one year of free access to our private forum. So that promotion ends in four days. And if you want to learn more about our other MAPS programs, you can go to mapsfitnessproducts.com. And that's it. So without any further ado, here we are talking to Victoria Fields. I had no idea there was a fitness connection here. So would you mind talking about that again? You were a pro competitor and... Yeah. So, um, well, my world kind of started in TV news. um, And I was a TV news reporter and anchor for uh, quite a few years for a couple of NBC affiliates. And I actually had uh, decided to do a sweeps piece, which is sort of a long, you know, great for ratings uh, story on a professional fitness competitor, just because I thought it would be interesting to document somebody who was a mom and, you know, just training for the stage. And when I watched her and what she was doing, I was like, I have to try this. This is amazing. I had a gymnastics background and it was uh, it was an interesting time because my news director was You know, he was kind of like, uh, doesn't really fit with the image we're going for here (laughs) Uh, at the uh, NBC affiliate. At the time, they said, you can do it. You've got a great potential career in TV. If you want to do that, it could hurt you. So I said, well, of course I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And, you know, it's it was uh, a choice I made. And at the, the same time, I was actually running a fitness program with my husband. And so we were already sort of, it was reporter by day, you know, fitness person by night and uh, decided to give it the full plunge into the bodybuilding world and ended up getting my pro card uh, about a year or so later. And that's then, fast. That's really fast. Yeah. Yeah. It was fairly, it was fairly quick. I, I actually um, competed in fitness first and really suffered a pretty significant injury that I still battle with today. I partially detached a tendon in my hamstring on the stage at nationals. Super awesome. Whoa, on the stage. <laughs> what were you doing? Just a hit and a pose? Oh, well, doing, oh you had no, to do your gymnastics is the routine. routine. Yeah, is, That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like a two minute routine. You've That's got right. split jumps and flips and one handed pushups and you know, you're competing on a hardwood floor. It's mm, not like gymnastics. Huh. So right. I did this split jump. Literally you land in the splits and I didn't feel it at the time, but as soon as I walked off stage, it felt like somebody stabbed me in the ass. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? And from that point forward, I really thought, you know, my career was over, but I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try anyway. I really love the process in getting to mm-hmm. the stage. And I actually boxed my way through for cardio because I couldn't do hit training. I couldn't do any of that because my hamstring was still um partially detached and uh, competed and, and got my pro card and figure and then did that for until about 2015 um, suffered another injury that uh, and right around the same time uh, my dog actually had suffered a traumatic brain injury when she was about six months old and started to develop grandma seizures and uh, I hooked up with some of the founders of Quest Nutrition and we uh, they started working on a protocol at Keto Pet Sanctuary uh, and the rest was really history after that. I got involved in cancer research. I've since then hooked up with uh, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, Dr. Mm-hmm, Angela Poff. Mm-hmm. 
um, and we put on a large scientific conference called Metabolic Health Summit, where we bring in all the top people from around the world to push this whole movement forward. So it's been a wild, crazy ride. <laughs> this is so fascinating. So you you applied ketogenic science or nutrition to your dog to prevent the seizures? Yes. And how so, well did it work or did it, did it work? Amazing. Okay. Um, so our dog... Um, she suffered a brain injury from a dog bite when she was six months old, and she almost didn't live. Uh, she was in, you know, an oxygen tank tank for the first like twenty four hours. They said she she may not make it through. She did, and um, about a year after that, they said she could develop grand mal seizures because she she was so young at the time, and she sure enough did. And so we then started anticonvulsant medication to try to stop the seizures, and she was a completely different dog she went from this like spunky little you know her name's Sasha Fierce like Beyonce's alter ego <laughs> um, and she was this sp- <laughs> so, yes I know it's, it's great pretty name. ridiculous that is great the other one's Ruxpin Teddy Ruxpin you guys ever oh, have a Teddy course. Ruxpin <laughs> okay so that was all the rage in 1984 right right I never had one so I'm kind of living out through my Pomeranian <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway so she um, was such a spunky great little dog and just started losing her hair. Her skin was turning black. Mm. She wasn't the same Sasha we knew. So um, it was around 2014, 2015 that um, Ron and Shannon Penna were uh, starting up Keto Pet Sanctuary, which essentially was to backtrack a little bit. They actually had a great conversation with Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and Dr. Er, and Dr. Peter Atia. They sort of walked into Quest Nutrition and sat down and said, hey, we need to talk about fat metabolism, ketones and their application in disease and performance. And really, the guys behind Quest at the time had such a passion for, well, understanding nutrition and its application Mm -hmm. in in these areas. But two, answering questions that really nobody else has (laughs) been able to conquer. Cancer being just a small, simple, you know, (laughs) thing Mm -hmm. to tackle. Right. Um, But uh, yeah. So from there, they said, how do we get started with this right away? How do we start validating this diet? Um, And they're such dog lovers. We all are that uh, it said, well, we could open a place where we could rescue dogs with cancer that are otherwise going to be euthanized, put them on a ketogenic diet and see what happens. But even though it wasn't a research facility, why don't we do it with the same sort of scientific rigor? So there was actually PET CT imaging on site, uh, which is sort of the gold standard for human cancer diagnostics. Um, there was They had metabolic conditioning, a beautiful um, facility that they could play in. And uh, it was right around the same time that I was trying to figure out a different option. Because as somebody from the fitness world, it's like there's got to be something I can do to make a difference in my dog's life. And it was more, even though it was more of a cancer focus at Keto Pet, um, there were some dogs that had epilepsy. It was still very much unmarked territory because, you know, the ketogenic diet's only really been used in humans for the last almost 100 years when it comes to epilepsy treatment. So we were really kind of going into the unknown, but we said, hey, you know, it, it, it can only get better from here. I mean, Sasha's not doing well. We put her on a ketogenic diet and it was in within a matter of weeks, she started to her tumor or her not her tumors, her uh, seizures started to reduce. And we slowly started to pull away her her medication till now we control it entirely through food. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, what, the Pretty facility, cool. how, about, about how many dogs did you guys have in the facility? 
Uh, so we have had a total of a little over 40 dogs go through. Okay. Um, but since then, what was really interesting is we started to share some of the data that was coming out um, through scientific conferences. And um, and in that process, it word spread like a wildfire because there's really... There's, there's not nothing, much, there's nothing, nothing yeah. on this. <laughs> that, nothing. I tried doing some research. We were talking about this and I tried doing some research on... Like cancer rates, for example, in pets. Very hard to find any kind of data. You can find it with humans, but you can't find it uh, with pets. And there's a lot of uh, anecdote. A lot of people are talking about how their, their dogs have cancer and tumors and how common they're becoming. And being in fitness and health and you know, looking at the types of foods that we feed our pets, it's like 100% processed. Like they don't eat, I guess, what you would call real food or whatever. And so to me, it's like, geez, why isn't there this research? Because I wonder if it's the food mm. that we're feeding them or their lifestyle that's contributing it, just like it would be, you know, to humans. So you guys are, are providing some of this research, it sounds like. Yeah, so uh, even, like I mentioned, even though it's not a research facility, we said we've got to do this in a way where we can, we actually have data to back it up. So all the dogs were, they had their blood glucose ketone levels uh, tested six times a week. Um, they would all, th- all go through standard of care as well. Some uh, did get uh, chemotherapy, some did get radiation, some did get surgery. Um, but we said, if we can essentially validate this in dogs who are very similar to us in, in many ways, then maybe we could start a conversation with, with humans. Mm. So that really led to actually some human pilot studies from there. Mm. Um, but a lot of the information that you do find on the ketogenic diet around canines has come from Keto Pet because we're the largest organization that's actually been validating it in dogs. So tell us, what are some of the things you're finding? Yeah. What are you seeing? So we had about, um, like I mentioned, 40 dogs go through the program. Um, 22 of them finished. uh, So it's about a 120 day protocol. 22 of them finished that. Um, Eight at the end of that showed up with no evidence of disease. So pet negative. Uh, One, uh, probably our most well-known study or well-known dog, I should say, was Callie. She was our first graduate. She's a Vishla. And she was diagnosed with hemangiosarcoma, which if you know anything uh, about canines and cancer, that's probably one of the most deadliest forms really? of cancer for dogs. You have maybe like a couple of months. Um, it really just depends on a variety of factors. So she, what we thought was a litter of puppies was one puppy and the rest was tumor. So oh. she, it was pretty brutal. She had it taken out. Um, so she went through surgery, came to Keto Pet, and we put her through a PET CT imaging and found out at that point it was metastatic. It was, it was all over. So we put her on a ketogenic diet, and with 120 uh, days on the diet, she was pet negative, no evidence of disease. Wow. So pretty incredible things, and it's not just cancer. So some of these dogs, you know, suffered from joint issues, a lot of inflammation, and usually when you're seeing a dog with cancer, they're they're also dealing with other ailments and issues along the way. So we've seen some pretty incredible results. Um, you know, we've got about a 55% success rate in getting dogs through the program and about 11 of them have lived beyond their prognosis, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. from there, we started working with people. So Keto Pet, I'm just backtracking a little bit. Were, was it an established uh, organization when you brought your dog there or were you part of the formulation of it? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, it was established by some of the founders of Quest and um, another PhD. And uh, from there, I actually had to happen to be friends with the founders of Quest. And so at the time, uh, they they were telling me, why don't you try a ketogenic diet? 
And from coming from the bodybuilding space, even though I wasn't like low fat, I was like, that sounds insane because I <laughs> yeah. eat carbs like it's my job because it was. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, at the time, I was like, really sort of hesitant about it. And um, my husband started it before me and then I got my dog on it. I said, okay, well, let's at least try it with Sasha because it's worked so well. I mean, with refractory epilepsy patients, so where drugs fail in children, they'll implement as part of standard of care, a ketogenic diet in a hospital setting and it'll it can stop seizures within 24 to 48 hours. This so, has been an epileptic mm-hmm. treatment for a long time, for a long uh, way time. before we had drugs that could treat epilepsy. Yes, a long time. And so it's interesting. Now everybody's like, "Have you heard of the new keto diet?" Yeah. It's like it's <laughs> been know. around for a while, guys. <laughs> yep. um, but to answer your question, so I sort of then linked up with uh, what they were doing at uh, Keto Pet. Uh, used that on my own dog actually at home. So my dog wasn't at the sanctuary. Uh, the sanctuary actually started in Texas. Uh, because there was more land, less uh, regulation on PET CT imaging and things along those lines. It's not usually used with canines. And uh, so I essentially was making up my own sort of protocol at home uh, in conjunction with, oh, yep, there's my little dog, Sasha. Oh, <laughs> there's before you can see all her hair. And then there she is, a little fluff ball. Wow. Uh, after, which Huge is Huge difference. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it was a pretty incredible process. And from there, it was like for me, uh, with such a passion for nutrition and fitness, I said, I, I've got to get involved in this. This is something that, you know, I saw my dog transform. It was like, okay, what would the, what kind of effect would this hap, have on me, other people that are suffering from cancer, epilepsy, and really started to get uh, passionate about it. And then actually came on board with Epigenics Foundation, which is the overarching nonprofit uh, of Keto Pet. Uh, and then we've done some wild uh, studies, pilot studies with oncologists throughout the states. Now, what are what are some of the what are the common foods that you're what are the fat sources that you guys are using? Like walk us through what a what a keto diet for a dog looks like. Yeah, it's it's fairly similar, really? except for it's raw. So I wouldn't suggest doing that. Um, you but get, like bulletproof coffee or anything like that. <laughs> it's weird. They have MCT and butter in the morning. Yeah. And, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, it's uh, fairly similar to where they've got you know ground fe- uh, ground grass fed beef, uh, turkey, chicken as sort of protein sources for vegetables. You're looking at like green beans, um, cabbage. You, you name it. Essentially, what you would eat. And then for fats, you know, coconut oil, heavy cream, uh, butter. Dogs actually really love that stuff. I I usually start with heavy cream or butter because they gravitate more towards that than coconut oil. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what you're looking for. And obviously, we had our own sort of supplements and things that we would um, fill in. Uh, but that's it's really fairly basic. Um, so we so as we started helping all these people um, and designing protocols for other people that had dogs with cancer, because it's really once it's one person got word of it, it was like a wildfire. And we were getting thousands of requests mm. for programs. So we actually built a keto calculator for canines on the Keto Pet website. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and literally it'll ask you, do you want what what's your protein source? What's your fat source? What's your greens um and yeah it's it's fairly simple to create and so do you are you literally feeding them that uh i mean you're steaming green beans and you're throwing some butter on there i mean what are they are you feeding it like that or are you guys do you guys put it together like as like a dog treat i mean how does it work right right serve it on a platter yeah yeah like, what's, <laughs> what's, what's this look like because i'm envisioning my dogs and now mind you i have bulldogs so they'll pretty much eat almost anything so it probably would work for my dogs but <laughs> i know some dogs can be picky about yeah. texture and things like that so do you serve it up a different different way or recommend that or that's a great point because some dogs are very picky kind of like 
you know, children right. uh, in some cases. So you kind of have to work with what they like. Um, but yeah, we would just grind it up in a food processor, just okay. mix it together. Um, just that makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, however, if a dog is kind of a little finicky, I might separate it out just to figure out what they don't like about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it's the coconut oil or whatnot. Um, and then, yeah, just we feed it raw just because cooking fats under high heat, especially when it comes to dogs, we've found that it may increase the chance of pancreatitis with canines specifically. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's why we're such big advocates of raw. And dogs are very different in terms of um, like for us, eating raw would probably be dangerous. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't probably want to throw down some raw gra- grass fed beef. Um, but for dogs, they can handle things a little bit differently. If you kind of think about how they evolved you know they weren't sitting around a campfire cooking potatoes i was just gonna ask what's (laughs) what's more is this more of a natural diet for canines to eat this way in my opinion i would say yes i think you have to really think about what is on our store shelves at the dog food store right i mean it's kibble and for it to be in that form factor it's got to be upwards of 60 plus percent carbohydrate and if you think about again how dogs sort of came to be and evolved they certainly didn't eat a ton of potatoes a ton of fruit even um you know corn they, wheat which right. is in all the dog food right and now you're seeing all these same problems that we're dealing with as a society diabetes cancer on the rise in our animals uh and i think there's certainly a relationship between how we've been feeding ourselves is exactly the same way uh, we're feeding our animals. Are we seeing a rise in pet cancers? Do we know any any statistics in terms of you know how many of them are starting to get it and what kinds are more prevalent and, all, and survival rates and all that stuff? Yeah, so I um, it's interesting because it, as you mentioned before, it is challenging to find some of those statistics. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the pet food world is a very interesting space. I mean, we think of our food supply and supplement supply as being a little, there's a little bit of shadiness going on uh, these days. You look at the dog food world and it's like times 10. Really? Yeah. I, I would I would argue that, yeah. Wow, how so? Um, just because there's not a lot of regulation on how these uh, pet food companies or what they're using in their products. Um, you know, how some of these uh, vitamins and minerals and things that they're kind of claiming on the labels are in there. Not to mention the fact that up until recently, it was actually you couldn't as a dog food company uh, because of AFCO regulations, um, which is sort of the governing body of dog food. You couldn't list carbohydrate content on the back of the dog food. So if you can imagine that as a consumer or somebody who wants to be that educated consumer and, and you're looking at the back of the food label, granted you have the ingredients, but if you don't know any better, you you might think, oh, this has protein, this has fat, this has, you know, ash, whatever. Uh, but uh, I guess it doesn't have carbohydrates because it's not listed. Can you imagine it on the human side, if we were to just take off carbohydrates and sugar on the label, what that would mean <laughs> no they actually tell you that they can't they actually say you can't wow. label them uh right so it is part of like you even if you wanted to you couldn't list carbohydrates on the label this has changed now this why was changing. it that way that's so strange <clears throat> yeah protect the shadiness <laughs> I mean, there's that's... a lot of uh, uh there's a lot of theories around that and things like that what's the name of the governing body again afco and are they a government agency it is not i don't believe it's okay 
I'm those, wondering who funding. Yeah. I'm wondering who's funding. Who, them. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you did some deep dive uh, digging on that and and just really break down sort of the pet food industry, mm-hmm. and I can send you guys some really interesting uh, please uh, documentaries and things. There's okay. a documentary called Pet Fooled and a variety of other things that are actually taking a deep dive into that whole uh, industry and space because it's really wow. hard to navigate as a consumer right now. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of uh, raw food companies and and people starting to talk about what we're feeding our dogs. There's so much focus on us. Right. But if you look at what we're feeding our animals, oh my gosh, it's even worse. Is Are there are there common shadiness that you see in in the space? I mean, is there, are there like hustles that people do? Like, you know, we talk about on the show, like protein spiking and things like that. They're that common <laughs> right. in the supplement world. Are there common things that that fillers sh- yeah that fillers stuff, or shady yeah. things that people do on labels to yeah there are like uh, like fillers and things they add in but also they're using certain um, types of like in terms of quality of food I mean we all know the quality of our food makes a massive difference and so using like rendered meats or you know byproduct or like nasty p- parts of animals essentially mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that that we wouldn't ordinarily like eat ourselves how they're cooking the food so binding it together to be in that form factor again as you can imagine what does that do to some of the nutrients that you're giving your your dog so there's definitely a lot of controversy and things around it when you just scratch the surface it's it's mm. quite scary now in terms of cancer rates do you do you, do you are they going up in pets do are we seeing it start to I, rise i would say so yeah. yes i think that it's hard to find some of those statistics right now but i would say just in my experience in uh being a part of keto pet and watching over the last like three years how many cases and people are contacting us and it's just going up and up and up and up um I, it's just it's shocking kind of to see and not just cancer it's also diabetes um which what when do you ever sort of find a that wild to like right. dog you know dogs having diabetes now, so are you getting any veterinarian support with this or any kind of backlash with this that is a great question. We actually do have some great support. Um, I will say they're still much like in the human world. I mean, even with the ketogenic diet uh, and its application potential in cancer, you still have a little bit of pushback on that, right? Because it's mm-hmm. new. It's not normally used for that. It's not part of standard of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, animals, there is a great group of veterinarians that we've linked up with. Actually, uh, three of them will be speaking at the conference that I put on uh, on the ketogenic diet for canine. So it's a really exciting exciting time because we're seeing more and more veterinarians realize because much like you know in the medical world there's not a whole lot of education around nutrition when it comes to how we're treating our Mm -hmm. animals or people Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of proactive veterinarians that are starting to sort of step up to the plate and educate themselves and link up with us and and then they take that formula from keto pet and they make it their own there's a great um veterinarian out of uh, Florida, Dr. Lauren Nations, who literally has this clinic dedicated entirely to metabolic therapies, inclusive of the ketogenic diet and cancer. Um, There's a couple of uh, veterinarians that run this uh, organization called the Royal Animal Health University, and they are dedicated to educating people about um, the diet and some of the um, current concerns in the dog food world. So it's it's an exciting time because it's hmm. starting to catch on, I would say. Yeah, it's been well known for a long time that there's an effect that happens in humans on a ketogenic diet in regards to cancer. I think the name of the effect is the Warburg effect, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Otto Warburg. Yeah. yeah, and this is where the you know cells, cancer cells basically get starved because they can't, many of them, not all of them, because some of them actually can feed on ketones, but many of them uh, starve out because they don't know how to, they can't process uh, you know, gl- glucose. They they have to they have to use glucose. You starve them of glucose, they die because ketones 
uh, don't work for them. This effect is also noticed even more profoundly in humans with fasting, where you avoid all food. Is that a part of the protocol as well? Do you also do fasting protocols with, with dogs with cancer? Some of the dogs, yes. And I do think uh, fasting can be a powerful tool uh, when it comes to that, especially those that are going through standard of care. I mean, some emerging evidence is showing that uh, fasting prior to going through uh, yeah. chemotherapy radiation actually may improve the efficacy of it, um, which is, is pretty interesting. And I think definitely needs to be looked into in, in, in more depth. But yes, we would do fasting with some of our dogs. And what's interesting is, as we started to work with people outside of the sanctuary, it was really interesting uh, because some people, eat much like maybe with themselves, some people had a sort of distorted uh, perception of where their dog was in terms of body condition score. <laughs> um, and they found it very hard to literally go one night without feeding their animal. Um, like, oh gosh, but poor, you know, Fufu needs to eat tonight. I get into and- <laughs> this all the time with people, with my dogs. They fit, oh, yeah. I, I will, if I feed them according to their activity. So yeah. if I was busy that day, they can get anywhere between two to four or five walks plus playtime with me if I'm, and then they can be sometimes completely sedentary and sleep all day. And so I'll skip feeding them one meal. And yeah. when someone sees me doing that, they freak out on me like, yeah, why is that mentality any different? I don't get it. Yeah. I find that really fascinating. Yeah. It's really interesting because there's so much, much benefit to doing that, especially right. if their activity is lower that day. It's like, why would you feed them the same amount, right? right? And so it was hard to educate. Sort of one of my passions is being able to educate people about sort of the benefits of that, but how to properly implement mm-hmm. it um, in a way that makes sense. And so it was, part of our battle was really helping people understand that it's okay to not feed your dog one night or maybe a whole day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to live, what? I promise. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of benefit, especially, you know, granted, I will say there is, you have to be cautious when a dog is already underweight. Sure. But nine right. times out of 10, most dogs that would come to us would be overweight. I would have to say that to a lot of the problems we have, the health problems that humans have and their pets have today is not the result of underfeeding. It's the result of overfeeding. And there's no way we evolved having food you know, two or three times every single day. Right, both and humans and dogs. No way. There's absolutely <laughs> right. no way. And so it, 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 and that's why we see so many health benefits when you take the average, you know, Westerner who has food all the time and you fast them. You take somebody who doesn't eat all the time and you fast them. It's, it's called right. starvation. <laughs> right. But you, you do it to someone like me and I get all these, these health benefits. So the same thing would happen with animals. You're saying that you're getting lots of people now who are hearing about what you're doing and are trying the po- protocols on their animals what kind of anecdotes and feedback are you getting from these people? Uh, pretty profound uh, feedback from some of them. Uh, granted, you know, the, like you mentioned before, um, you know, uh, most cancer cells exhibit that altered energy metabolism or the Otto Warburg effect, right? But not all. Um, so, and, and we get dogs at different stages of cancer that maybe have other factors going on, much like a human that also goes through sleep disturbances, stress, and all these other environmental epigenetic factors that come kind of come into play. Same thing with um, our animals. So, uh, we but we have seen, I would say, more often than not, people will come to us, uh, you know, with a cancer diagnosis, just sort of out of desperation, saying, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize mm. that food was a big deal," and they change uh, the dog's diet. And like I mentioned before, sometimes they see, you know, whether the dog had like a a bad knee or, you know, maybe skin issues, all of these other things, even beyond just the cancer diagnosis, start to kind of clear up. And Mm -hmm. it's like this sort of light that goes off for people and they never look back. It's like not only do they 
make sure every of every one of their dogs is following a low carb lifestyle. But some of them actually then themselves transition onto a ketogenic no. diet and start to, you know, it's this whole chain reaction and that's transformation. Funny. Yeah, that's yeah. Spike, Spike got leaner on this diet. I think I'll try <laughs> yeah, it. You know? It works for him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, That's really cool. How about a, how about expense wise? Uh, it sounds like it would be really expensive. Is it or do you find that you're the dogs are having to eat less because they're eating a higher fat diet? That's a uh, great question. Uh, it is, I mean, if you think about what the majority of food is, it's uh, the cheapest kind of products, most convenient, you know, dog kibble is going to be less expensive. It's much like if you were to feed yourself off of Twinkies or your whole life or whatever. Or the McDonald's 99 cent menu, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you're getting, you're getting what you pay for, right? right? Um, so there is a little bit of an increase in expense because you're feeding your dog better food. Food. So uh, that's one thing I think people have to kind of wrap their heads around is that it's okay because it just means that you're not going to end up spending a ton of money in medical bills right. when, you know, something pops up down the line, much like humans. What percentage? I, I forgot. I read this a long time ago. There's like a, a large percentage of, of pets are on regular medication, much like a, re, a percentage, you know, a large percentage of Americans. Do you know what that number is? I don't, but I'm sure it's uh, very high. <laughs> yeah, but you, the point you made is perfect. Like I know people spend thousands of dollars on veterinary bills and medications when exercising them and eat right. Right. It's going to probably save you money. Well, for us, I mean, we had our dog on Kepra for so long and that is not cheap. And so it was even though we were maybe spending a little bit more in food, we were saving on medication. Mm -hmm. So it balances out. And I think you really have to, much like with ourselves, you have to think about long-term. Now, uh, are you guys looking at other uh, treatments in addition to a ketogenic type diet? There's a lot of anecdote that's been going around um, recently, and it started with humans, uh, uh, in, in also with epilepsy, but also with cancer, with the use of cannabinoids like uh, CBD and some of the other cannabinoids, uh, including THC, but mainly CBD. And now I'm seeing people use uh, CBD or hemp oil products for pets uh, when they have cancers. And I'm and these are anecdotes, so I don't know what percentage are doing well. But I'm reading some stories and people are like, man, my, my pet's cancer you know, got so much better, went away. Are you guys looking into this kind of stuff as well? Um, so it wasn't official, an official part of our protocol at all. We've not used it with dogs. However, I will say a lot of the people that we have worked with outside of the sanctuary come to us and saying, Hey, I've started with this already. I'm using CBD based products seems to be working. I want to combine that with metabolic therapy or mm. the ketogenic diet. Um, so I have personally heard a lot of benefit and actually a lot of the veterinarians that I work closely with have also experienced some great benefit. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think much like, uh, there's a, it's really difficult because as you guys know, just in terms of like recent law changes and things like that, but up until this point, there's really not a whole lot of information on dosing, um, especially when it comes to using it therapeutically. I mean, there's a lot of information you can find out there on the internet, but there's really not a great standard yet, I think. And it's even less of that when you look at animals. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was, it's really difficult for us to be able to use something like that. However, I will say we, we get a lot of people coming to us say they, saying they've experience benefit. What gets me really excited about this uh, is part of what gets me excited about the, the internet in, in the sense that uh, in the past, anecdote was, in order for anecdote to be considered for scientific study, you'd have to have an overwhelming amount of anecdote where scientists were like, wow, everybody's talking about this. Let's, let's get this going. The internet is allowing that to happen much faster. You know, mm -hmm. I, I talk about, uh, I have a family member who was stricken with Crohn's disease uh, about 10 years ago. 
and his mom uh, is a very intelligent woman. And there wasn't that much out there in terms of how to solve this problem aside from these these very, very harsh immune suppressing drugs. So she went online and got on these forums with thousands of people who had Crohn's who were talking about diets and things that they were doing that were helping. And she found something called the carbohydrate specific diet, which she applied to her son and it worked and put him in remission. Never would have found that otherwise. Now the carbohydrate specific diet has got some study behind it <laughs> because of this anecdote. Uh, I think of the same thing with uh, CBD and epilepsy and the resurgence of the ketogenic diet and how that's you know starting to help people. So I think it's really good because with pets, it's easier to control. Like you tell a person, eat a ketogenic diet and fast, uh, and they just are like, I can't do it. You tell them to do it for their pet and they get more control. Like, okay, well, my dog's not going to, you know, he's going to only eat what I give him. And right. so I find it exciting because it almost seems like it's going to it's gonna reflect back to, you know, what's happening with people. Are, are people excited about that? Are they looking at it in, in those ways as well? Um, in times, in in terms, in terms of, of like, okay, we're doing this with pets. Let's see how this will work with them, and then maybe. Yeah, well, that's kind of how we founded Epigenics Foundation, right? So that's how that came to be because it was like we were seeing so much benefit in canines. It was like, well, what could this do with humans? And clinical trials are so important, incredibly important, but they take a long time before you get the end result and the information. And right? a lot so, of money. And they're super and expensive. Of, yeah, a lot of money, right? And we're talking about nutrition here, nutritional mm-hmm. intervention. So you know funding and things like that become a little bit more complicated. Um, but we said, gosh, let's let's start working with people. How do we start working with people right now? So we then started partnering with oncologists who had heard about the ketogenic diet and these nutritional interventions being beneficial, but really not knowing where to start. Uh, one of those uh, neuro-oncologists was out of uh, Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. So we teamed up with him. He would refer patients out to us who, uh, this was a late stage uh, brain cancer pilot study, uh, including patients that had glioblastoma, which is, uh, again, one of the uh, horrible, the worst, I would say the worst cancer you can get with a really dismal prognosis, uh, maybe two years, mm-hmm. uh, two to five years. And if you throw standard of care on top of that, chemotherapy, radiation, you're not looking at much of an increase in survival, right? So uh, these people need something else. So when we teamed up with him, he was very much open to this because of a lot of the information coming out, not just you know preclinical, but anecdotal um, evidence about it. So he said, well, it can't hurt if these patients want to do it. Let's give it a try. And we started a pilot study with about 15 patients, and it was, it was mind-blowing, some of the results we saw with brain cancer patients specifically. That's one thing that I'm so incredibly passionate about. And just in my mission is education around its potential with brain cancer patients. Um, Because much like how it works in some similar mechanisms with epilepsy, you see, I mean, I had patients uh, suffering from aphasia or alexia, losing their ability to read and write uh, because of either, you know, surgery or the brain tumor itself. Uh, to within three to four weeks on the diet, regaining that and giving me a call saying, I, I just read a paragraph in a novel Whoa. again. Whoa. So that's pretty powerful stuff that mm-hmm. we started to experience with um, working with people because we knew it had to be so important. What's really exciting is that pilot study has actually inspired a clinical trial that's now going on at Cedar sinai with, um, upon diagnosis, uh, glioblastoma patients, they will implement a ketogenic diet, wow. which is huge. Wow, wow, yeah. Yeah, because it's earlier in the, in the process. Right, which is, which is, I think, a key thing for brain cancer specifically, because once you get a patient, you know, they've gone through surgery, they've gone through radiation, maybe they've got necrosis and all these complications, it becomes a little bit more challenging to really get in there with this, you know, 
uh, Warburg effect, if yeah, you will, absolutely. or metabolic theory of cancer. So Now, when you guys get somebody in, do you ever have a challenge with some people that just don't want to put the time and effort into making the food for their dog and preparing like that? And, and if so, are there some dog food brands that you recommend or that you would say stay away from? That is a great question. So we um, at Keto Pat ran into this problem just even with in the sanctuary. There was um, hours spent on formulating individual diets for each individual dog based off of their, uh, you know, activity level, body condition score, all these things. So, you know, you're taking uh, about 40 dogs and having to formulate programs. It takes a long time and it's very uh, just you could be spending that time doing something else, right? So um, there's actually a company, uh, some of the founders are investment partners in a company called Valiant Pet Nutrition, which is the first uh, ketogenic dog food that to hit the market. But it, it before it hit the market, it was something that we actually used at Keto Pet Sanctuary because we needed something. Right. So they donated the food to us uh, and now they've, uh, they're have they commercially available um, and they donate some of the uh, funds back oh, to us, which is really kind of cool. Um, but you can really... Uh, Ketofy, if you will, a lot of uh, dog foods out there. Oh, really? Um, yeah, m- more so. Uh, you have to be really cautious because, again, you're not knowing what you completely get um, on the the label. Nine times out of ten, I tell people, you know, uh, for- try the formulation first. Like, get grocery store items. Understand the diet, and and we even with some people uh, are able to get them to actually test their dog's blood, which is key, especially if you're dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Um, and then if they just can't. Say they travel a lot, then we'll recommend using something like a ketogenic dog food like Valiant. Is there a, a target uh, level of ketones that you're looking for in the dogs that you're treating? Because I know that there's different applications of uh, a ketone concentrations from just the normal person who may have autoimmune type inflama- inflammation to like epilepsy, which probably requires, I would assume, more ketones. Is there a number you guys are looking for? It's so di- it's so interesting, <clears throat> this topic specifically, because there's so many things that while there's a g- great building sort of uh, mountain of research, there's so much more uh, that I think needs to be done around specifically ketone utilization. Mm. Like, what does it even mean if, you know, I have 0.5 millimole for ketones and you have 2.5? Like right. it used to be when we were first starting these organizations that we would all compete and like whoever had the higher number was better. But, right. <laughs> but I don't think that's that's the case and lean mass and all these things kind of come into the equation. What's interesting though, is that dogs will actually, um, their level of ketosis is much lower. Whereas humans, it's typically 0.5 oh, uh, normal and above is technically you're in ketosis with dogs. It's 0.3. Um, we typically found between 0.3 to 0.7. Uh, and that was sort of where the sweet spot is for dogs. Um, and what's a really great indicator too, though, and that's important to test alongside ketones, is blood glucose. Because if that's low, there's a good chance insulin is also low. So, you know, you've mm. really got to have a whole picture um, for each dog because one dog could be, you know, 0.3, but they have incredibly high blood glucose, which isn't really ideal. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other dog could have maybe their their level of ketosis is 0.2, but their their blood glucose is in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, in my opinion, would be a better case scenario. So you really got to have like a whole picture. Now, how do people at home test their pet's 
ketone levels, or is it just blood? Because I know they have those pee strips that people can <laughs> yeah, use. Yeah, can you imagine the dog? Yeah, just following that your dog would around. Be, uh, can you guys film that? Because I think that would go viral. <laughs> Testing your dog's urine. Yeah. Um, no, we don't use pee strips. Yeah. We use uh, Precision Extra, um, or that's what we used at the sanctuary to mm-hmm. kind of validate. That was really the only thing that was available in terms of ketone testing. Uh, and it worked really well uh, with all of our dogs, but it is a little bit challenging. So you can either test like the side of the paw um, under or inside the lip or in the ear, just making sure you're cleaning the area well first. We typically don't use that lancet device that clicks and sort of stabs you because it scares dogs. Mm. So instead, just taking that needle and and just a light little you know needle prick and you get enough blood. And if the dog is not comfortable with their paws being touched, the ear, that's what I found was best for my, because I have a little, Sasha's like tiny mm-hmm. so I would always feel so terrible like poking her but <laughs> I would get her ear and, and she could barely feel it so this is something you can you do at home you can buy a yeah. device okay. you just get it on Amazon and you buy a device and uh, test your dog's blood and I think you know, if you're using it for more of a lifestyle-based um, focus, I, I think you don't necessarily have to test blood. I find it really interesting and nerd out on that stuff, but you don't have to. Um, but for a dog that's dealing with cancer, I would definitely want to see where uh, the blood glucose and ketone levels are. Because much like with some of the human or, you know, at least um, animal model research, there may be a sweet spot for where you kind of want to be when it comes to a ketogenic diet that's therapeutic now, for cancer. Were there any negative effects from going above that 0.7 uh, you know, millimole level? Because you said 0.3 to 0.7. So what happens after that? What did you guys notice? Um, so it's really interesting. And I think it all comes down to much like with people, because I've worked with, um, gosh, over 100 cancer patients as well. But much like with people, where the dog is at, I mean, insulin resistance and just hormone balance and stress. And there's so many different factors that kind of come into play, as well as just what our thresholds are individually for different macronutrients, right? So not everybody's the same. Like I can get away with a big fat steak on a Friday night, but maybe my husband can't. Mm -hmm. So, and maintain ketosis. Um, So just in terms of that sweet spot range, that's just on average where we would see dogs see. at. Okay. But some dogs, I've had dogs, strangely, in the threes uh, for ketones, which wow. in my opinion, and granted, uh, you know, I, I, we would have to take a much closer look at this, but I feel like metabolically, there's something a little bit off there. Mm. Like most dogs, I think, are lower on the ketone range because they are able to utilize ketones maybe even more efficiently than we are. Um, that's why they don't sit at that, you know, 0.5 to in the twos most often. Um, But, you know, you don't usually see that. And I think that there could be some issue with the dog actually utilizing ketones or insulin resistance or something Mm. strange uh, along those lines. Let's talk more about the diet because I know with people, when they're trying to get into into ketosis for the medical applications, because it's different from low carb, you can go low carb, not going to ketosis, but if you want the therapeutic effects of uh, of ketosis, you have to get your ketones elevated. One of the things that can throw a lot of people off is just too much protein. Like they'll eat too much protein and their body will convert that protein uh, to glucose and that'll throw them out of ketosis. Does this happen to dogs as easily or can they eat more protein? Than- that is a great question. Um, every dog's different. I think it's okay. very similar. That's why testing's fact- so important. Totally. Um, every dog's threshold, just like us, is completely different to the next dog. So, um, you know, some dogs, especially really active ones, can get away with more protein, much like those who train mm. and use a facility like this in here. Mm-hmm. 
could probably get away with more protein or even more carbohydrate con- you know, consumption. And for dogs um, that are following the diet in a lifestyle sort of approach, in my opinion and experience in following a ketogenic diet, just personally, um, not so much in working with it as a um, uh, sort of metabolic therapy for disease, but more so a lifestyle approach, I think there may be some benefit time to time to popping out of ketosis. Mm. And I don't think we all evolved in just a constant steady state no. of mm. ketosis, you know, and I think there's a lot of, oh, you're right, you're wrong, this is how you do it, this is how you don't. Mm. At the end of the day, I think there's something to having that me- metabolic flexibility cycling through. And same goes for maybe dogs on a low carb diet that are keto from time to mm. time, but you punch up their protein. Yeah, just like humans, dogs are opportunity, uh, right. you know, eaters. So like humans, although we evolved probably eating a lot of meat because it was so energy dense. If we walked, we wouldn't pass up a fruit tree. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to be like, that's not on my diet. Same thing with the dog. Yeah. That's the same with the dog. Yeah. Yeah, But how do I stop my dog from eating dog shit? That's what I want to know. Please tell me. That is a problem. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. Uh, Some people say that my dog's poop intake. (laughs) (laughs) It might be keto depending on what that dog's eating. But um, some people say like, actually my dog's poop intake has gone down a little bit. It's not, they're not as interested or grass consumption, things like that. So it's really interesting what happens when you clean up your your dogs mm. or your own diet, right? Now, some mm. people get uh, digestive issues when they switch to keto, uh, constipation being the most common. Do we see that in pets as well? Yes, that is a great question. Absolutely. I mean, dogs can get the keto flu just like we can. Okay. So you may see, you know, I've had some people say, oh, my dog's so tired and doesn't want to do anything. And it's like, well, you know, let's add in a little bit of sodium. Let's, Mm. you know, uh, maybe you want to supplement with some electrolytes. So much the same way that you can experience that. Typically with a a human, usually if you have the, you know, constipation, headaches, fatigue, nine times out of 10, it's because your electrolytes are off because when that insulin drops, it triggers the kidneys to excrete excess water. With all that water comes Mm -hmm. electrolytes. So same exact thing can happen with a dog as insulin drops. So we usually um, will suggest if a dog is having issues with maybe, you know, especially when a dog has been fed kibble for the majority of its life, and then you switch over to a high higher fat diet. Now we kind of transition a little bit more slowly. In the beginning, it was like immediate, you know, on a two to one or 80 plus percent of calories coming from fat. Now we kind of suggest kind of easing into it because a lot of these dogs, their guts are just not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And their gut microbiome has potentially been altered in a negative way. And you need to kind of work up to and build those enzymes to be able to um, consume that higher fat diet. Now, if I, if I'm listening to the show right now, and I'm very interested in everything you're saying is what kind of service do you guys provide? I mean, do, do you guys do anything for someone? Like if I called in and, and do you guys uh, charge and maybe I can send the blood to you? I mean, what exactly do you guys do? That is a great question. So um, keto pet really was uh, something that we started to help people, but it was me and maybe one other person. And it was like thousands of people started to reach out and it was like not sustainable. We weren't, uh, you know, Epigenics Foundation, the overarching nonprofit is a nonprofit. We don't want to charge people. We want to provide education. So KetoPad has really transformed into an educational uh, based program now. So we've taken what we've learned at the sanctuary and we actually have an ebook on the KetoPad website that explains the ketogenic diet, um, its application in cancer, some of the research behind it and some great resources, scientific journal articles and things like that. 
Um, so people can find sort of that base knowledge of how to implement a diet, because I think there's a lot of importance in understanding that yourself and not just having somebody else do it for you. Because when you have somebody else in implementing the ketogenic diet for your dog, you don't know the difference between like, oh, I just gave my dog a little sweet potato just as a treat. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you should know that uh, if a dog is dealing with cancer on a therapeutic level of a ketogenic diet, you, you probably don't want to feed treats at all. You want to take some of its food, roll it up into a little ball, and that's its, that's its treat because it's calorically restricted. Um, so we really provide educational tools now. So uh, ketopet.org or ketopetsanctuary.com, you can go there. Um, you can use the keto calculator that's on there to formulate it yourself. It'll also send you an ebook that really explains the diet for canines. Um, and we still have an interest in further exploring, you know, cancer or the ketogenic diet and its application mm-hmm. in cancer with canines specifically, as well as people. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main focus now, though, is in education. Is this also something that, uh, like, in terms of cats and, like, other animals, like, is there any sort of movement in that direction? We get asked about cats all the time. Yeah. Um, Not that I'm a cat person. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> For the record. Yeah. yeah no. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I love cats. But yeah. um, we would love to have information on cats. Uh, we've not validated it the same way that we have with dogs. So we can't really properly provide that information because cats do have different nutrient requirements than dogs do. So, uh, but I would um, tell the listener to check what's in your cat's food and ask yourself, is that something that you would consider natural for a cat? I would would imagine a cat is probably more carnivorous than a dog. Everybody yeah. who's had a cat right. knows that those fuckers go out and, hunt and bring you a, a mouse or a, yeah. a bird to your door and they try and hunt things. So I right. would think that would probably benefit even more than a dog would. Right, yeah, they're right. like carnivore diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Keto carnivore. Have, yeah. you, have you guys done enough... Um, or have you guys helped enough dogs to start to see patterns in certain breeds? I ask this because... My in, my entire life, we've had all different breeds of dogs, and this was my first time owning English Bulldogs, and man, are they, I mean, it seems like I'm dealing with something all the time. They're allergic to so much stuff. They seem like they're intolerant to a lot of certain foods. Like, I, their diet, I've never had to be so strict about a diet uh, as I have with these English Bulldogs. Do you see patterns like that in certain breeds? You know, we've worked with all different types of breeds. It's been so mixed across the board that it would be hard because we weren't a research facility. We essentially would rescue the dogs that we could get that had cancer that were otherwise going to be put down. So we really didn't have a big choice in like getting a specific breed, much Mm -hmm. like you would find at a research facility. So um, it's hard for me to really say, but I will say, you know, like you know, boxers getting more uh, in terms of cancer and and um, situations like that, what, what you're explaining, we get a lot of that sort of anecdotal, like individual uh, information, but I don't have enough information to where I would be able to give you more of an idea on that. I will say um, it's interesting because so many things affect not just our animals, but us beyond just like as we've grown up over the years and what we've been eating, but what our mom's eight, right? What are what the what was the gut microbiome like of our mothers? And right. and I think the same would apply to dogs. So especially when you're looking at like purebred dogs, I think there's a lot that's sort of passed along. Um and whether or not that kind of comes to be in terms of like gene expression and all that really can come down to a lot of ep- epigenetic factors in food. Um so that, I th- that yeah. makes that point makes me that's why probably you see these 
you know, people say this all the time. If you have like a mutt, it just seems to be resilient. Mm-hmm. Just can handle <laughs> yeah. anything, eat anything, right. totally fine. And then you have this two thousand dollar dog that you bought that's <laughs> yeah. purebred, right? And they're fucking weird sick all the time. anal gland <laughs> issues and to, stuff. To <laughs> your point, right there, that makes a lot of sense because the, the purebreds are getting same same family genes in line and probably fed the same way. Right. And so, and if you're crossbreeding a lot, and and a mutt is probably picking up all kinds of things, which is probably more advantageous for. Uh, a dog to be more resilient to all different uh, environments and foods and things. A hundred percent. I would, right. I would, I would almost argue that like the food that's been passed down from generation to generation, what they've been eating, which has probably been the same for the last, like however many years of breeding the, the breeders have gone right. through because it's, it's so crazy. If you can imagine, I mean, providing like a dog, I, I've definitely met some uh, dog owners or breeders or whatnot that are like, here's their food. Do not change it. You know, make sure they stay inside. They don't get, you know, this natural sunlight and all these things. Like we protect these little and protect <laughs> these mm-hmm. little animals. But at the same time, it's like, could you ever imagine like a physician saying to you like, Okay, I have this one box of cereal. This is only what you're su- supposed to feed your child for the right. rest of their life. If you stray at all, they will have an upset stomach. Like yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so, we in, we inherit our our microbiome from our mothers, yep. and that diversity in humans. We I don't know if there's any studies on animals, but the diversity in humans is is declined dramatically, and so humans are having all these gut issues and autoimmune issues. And it only makes sense that our pets would start to suffer those, you know, similar things. Do you guys also recommend that people feed their pets uh, organic food to avoid things like glyphosate residues and things that can affect uh, the gut or the microbiome? I uh, personally think that that would be a great idea mm-hmm. <laughs> to go that that route. Um, I do know that some people already are dealing with the struggle of cost um, yeah. in the transition process. So much like with anything, it's like, how do you make something sustainable, but also help people stay compliant, um, you know, in the process, which money is a big factor for a lot of people. So I say, you know, if you can make those better choices of quality of food, do because I do think there's benefit to that. Mm. One of the side effects of a ketogenic diet uh, is uh, weight loss, and, and it's it's not due to the to the to the some magic fat loss properties. Or at least this is what the study shows. No magic fat loss properties from a ketogenic diet, aside from the fact that a lot of people just it satiates the hell out of them. Like mm-hmm. I go in and out of ketogenic diets all the time. Um, I, I ha- I've had gut issues in the past, and they were really beneficial to me in the past. Right now, I'm not because I don't I don't necessarily need to. But I do find when I eat a ketogenic diet, I'm just, I don't want to eat as much. I just, I'm, I'm more satiated. I just don't want to eat as much food. Are, are people saying that they're finding this with their pets as well, where they're losing weight and that the pets don't necessarily want to eat as much as they did before? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it affects them similarly in that like it's uh, very satiating. Not only that, I think a lot of people have a difficult time with just how the food looks on the plate. Because before it was all this like carby stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> that was bulky and, you know, looked like it was a lot of food to oh, like, you know, this minuscule amount. But it's like you understand that fat is more calorically dense. Right. So it's going to be small, but same, if not, maybe more amount, mm. you know, in terms of of calories. So, uh, yes, some dogs would uh, not like people would switch up feeding times. We used to feed the dogs uh, twice a day uh, and found that to be most beneficial versus like one large feeding uh, just in terms of what we were doing. Um, but yes, I would say they they experienced the same things and 
it's very similar in the process of transitioning a human as it is a dog, except for dogs can't run down the street to 7-Eleven and grab, you know, some bad junk food. So a <laughs> little easier. Yeah. Do um, it, well, any other behavior changes in these, in these animals that are trying ketogenic diets? Are they noticing any changes in like energy and, and, oh, yeah. and anxiety like or anxiety. fighting? Yes. Do you notice any patterns like that? Yeah. Some people have, um, and we've noticed it as well, but some people have said like, my dog is like a puppy again. I, I don't know where Whoa. this energy came from, but there's so much more energy there. They just are go- nonstop. Like I can't even keep up with them. So we get stuff like that. Um, you know, their coat, their fur changes a lot um, okay. through the process. So shinier coats. You can imagine the fat would do that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Shine- exactly. Fat is so supportive of everything. Um, so there's a lot of benefit there, but energy levels for sure. Uh, anxiety. Yes. I mean, our dog Ruxpin um, experiences pretty significant anxiety and it's helped him uh, quite a bit as well. So I think, I mean, much like with people, there's literally areas of research. It almost sounds like when you explain like to somebody that doesn't know a ketogenic diet, I feel like I'm all, almost talking about snake oil because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, so it works potentially for cancer, for ALS, for yeah. mm-hmm. uh, skin issues. And people are like, what are you, what? Can you imagine if there's like a drug in this world that did the same well, it's thing? CBD, it's marijuana. Uh, <laughs> That's how we feel when you talk about marijuana. Is right. Right. Sure, marijuana is good You're like, for yeah, it's weed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's probably it's not necessarily that it's magic. I think it's just uh, we eat a particular way all the time, and we constantly feed ourselves. That changing that and in removing something that we probably shouldn't always have all the time gives us all these benefits. Because I've noticed with athletes and even with myself, if I stay ketogenic too long and too consistently, I also start to notice negatives, and I pull myself out. Even Dr. Mercola, who's like this one of the biggest proponents of a ketogenic diet, probably one of the first guys online to really push it, says it's a good idea, unless you're you're treating something therapeutically, it's a good idea to pop in and out of it to promote that, you know, that metabolic flexibility. Yeah. So are you, are you guys going to con- work with more pets? You said you guys are on the education route. Does that mean you're going to stop now, you know, g- taking animals and, and working with them I- independently? For the time being, because it was very expensive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you can imagine, um, to run a facility like that. So we are now focused on education, but that's not to say that we're not continuing to explore ways, other ways that we can continue to further this research uh, with canines and in humans. Um, But sanctuary wise, we don't have the sanctuary right now in Texas. um, And we have shifted gears to really be able to provide people the education while we're on hiatus with some of those studies. Are you guys, how are you funded? That is a great question. Um, so the founder, one of the founders of Quest Nutrition uh, just has this insatiable passion for really exploring this. I mean, he found out about, you know, Otto Warburg and the Warburg effect and the metabolic theory of cancer and really dove in and hasn't come out. And I think it's it's much that way, like with myself, you once you go down that path and you explore the potential of the ketogenic diet, especially in disease, it's hard to kind of go the other way. And so he, um, in terms of uh, funding, that was largely how this all started. But in addition to that, we all, we also take donations. Um, and then third, uh, Valiant Pet Nutrition donates back to us from their sales. So donations, and it's also you know privately funded, and then also uh, through Valiant Pet Nutrition. Very Excellent. Cool. Excellent. Do you guys also recommend an exercise protocol for these 
for these animals while they're doing this uh, ketogenic protocol? Yes, that's a great point. That was actually a big part of our protocol. So 20 to 30 minutes, two times a day, kind of like high intensity interval training you would sort of participate in as a person. Um, mm-hmm. We would do the same for dogs because that does help in the ketone utilization and fat metabolism process mm-hmm. for these dogs. And it's so important. Yeah, I mean, you guys know. I don't have to preach for the <laughs> Now, I know how, how religious people can get about nutrition. And I know when we talk about nutrition, uh, we get pushback from people all the time. And it's, it's hilarious to me because people just treat it like, like dogma. Do you, no, no pun intended. Do you guys, do you guys, <laughs> nice. are you guys getting lots of pushback from anybody for saying some of the stuff that you're saying about, you know, ketogenic diet for cancer, for pets, and it's helped all these, you know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that we're not waving to people saying this is a cure by any means. This is just a tool in the toolbox that is underutilized right now and just need, there needs to be a bigger conversation around food and its application in disease, mm. uh, in human and canine performance. I mean, it's, it's obvious that we're, you know, sort of missing this key component in the conversation. So while we do get, I think the most pushback we get is on raw feeding. I think there's a lot of, um, people have a lot of issues around that. Mm. Um, but on the ketogenic diet, it's so interesting because there's a lot of, um, people in the, the dog world or veterinarians or whatever you want to say, um, that will say a dog cannot get into ketosis. And we have a lot of blood data to show that they can, in fact, get into ketosis or that it could be potentially an issue with pancreatitis. Like high fat diets are an issue with pancreatitis mm-hmm. is what you typically hear. And uh, we did not experience that at the sanctuary at all because we didn't cook the food. So there's something in terms of like fat peroxidation, like issues with damaging those oh, fats right. um, that oh. feeding raw may help um, you avoid that. So I think for us, it's 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 more so let's talk about what we know, what we've learned. Let's have an evidence-based conversation. I mean, the ketogenic diet is being studied right now, preclinical, clinical trials. If you look online, you can find studies that are going on all over the world Um, that is very evident that this is sort of the future of nutrition science. This is a big, important part of it. Mm -hmm. It might not be all of it, but it's an important part of it. And so you feel pretty much all dogs could benefit from this in terms of also being preventative from, you know, seeing cancer and seeing tumors uh, occur. So do you you see people seeking you guys and your information uh, before their dog is getting sick or pretty much the opposite? Um, yeah, we actually, so usually people will contact us out of either inspiration or desperation, yeah. one of the two. Um, but uh, if it's inspiration, maybe they've tried the diet themselves and ex- has, have experienced great benefits. Uh, or maybe they, you know, I don't know, just uh, are inspired by for some reason to want to change their dog's life. And, um, you know, so we, we do get a lot of people that will contact us wanting to kind of make uh, that shift over into the ketogenic diet as a lifestyle. I think you made a mention of prevention, which um, is still something that's definitely up in the air. I would never feel comfortable saying, you know, this for sure will prevent cancer sure, in your dog. Right. Like, don't quote me on that. Hopefully that doesn't get <laughs> taken out of context mm-hmm. in this. But um, I do think we got to think about the fact that the ketogenic diet is known to lower ins- insulin and inflammation in the body. Um, it's known to have all these benefits. So if we know that inflammation, high insulin, blood glucose levels are pretty detrimental and can lead to other issues down the line. 
I, you know, I personally, in my opinion, would say it might be a good mm-hmm. option from time to time, at least, or maybe through fasting mm. uh, to enter into a state of ketosis. Do you, do you, are there situations where you're like, we don't recommend a ketogenic diet? Are there particular animals or maybe symptoms that people can look for and, and say, okay, this might not be best for my pet? Yeah, so I think one big factor, which is fairly rare, is when a dog is already dramatically underweight. Mm. Um, so that is kind of a little bit of a trickier situation. It, you know, if a dog is really far gone, like, st- you know, end stage of cancer, it's like at that point, it doesn't make sense to completely like uproot this dog's whole lifestyle. Maybe not. Maybe. Mm. It's it's hard to say. I think there's a lot of people, unfortunately, contacting us that literally their dog should be on, if it was a human on hospice. At that point, I think you need to like kind of weigh all factors. Or if the dog is really underweight, um, you know, kind of figuring out the best. Because, you know, what we did was calorically restricted. Um, and I think that's kind of a key component when I you're would dealing with something like cancer, right? So um, you don't want to do that if a dog is already drum- like very thin. Uh, so those are a couple of things that you want to kind of keep in mind. There's also um, certain cancer types. Uh, insulinoma, I believe, is one of them. I might have just said that wrong. But it um, basically where you're dealing with something or even like a dog that's on insulin uh, that maybe has an issue with diabetes in addition to cancer, you have to be really cautious, even as a human, if you're a type 2 diabetic or you're type 1 diabetic and you're insulin dependent, you know, as you transition onto a diet diet like this, it will drop your insulin Mm -hmm. and you will need to work with your veterinarian uh, who hopefully is on board with this nutrition approach and truly understands how quickly that transition and dosing has to change um, because otherwise it can be really uh, deadly potentially. Yeah. Now, because you were so, you know, in into fitness and into nutrition before, which I thought was fascinating. I didn't even know that, which uh, before you started working with this kind of research. Has that now affected how you guys eat? Because you ate you, you, you probably watched you watched your diet before. So it's not like you ate really bad before. Have you changed how you eat now and how do you guys eat now as a result of this? Oh, I'm totally a keto head. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, so once I saw, it was, it took a bit for me to actually make the transition and we've always been big fans of including fat in the diet, especially when it comes to female hormones and all of those things. So we did diets differently than the average, uh, you know, coaches in the bodybuilding world. Um, but it took a sec to really, even more so because it was sort of unmarked territory at the time. Now there's all these great resources online. At the time, and I have a family history, like a variety of people in my family have heart disease, right? So, uh, and my mom's in the medical profession. So she, so when I said, hey, I'm, I want to transition onto this high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet, she's like, that, what? Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was, and we could get into like the weeds with, it was kind of interesting because I approached it. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with the same amount of, you know, uh, crazy as bodybuilding <laughs> where I want to test my blood prior to starting. I want to follow a specific uh, protocol when I follow a ketogenic diet. I want to retest my blood because I was specifically interested in cardiovascular markers because of my family history. And so I wanted to say, because I wasn't really happy on sort of your traditional like lower fat carb protein diet. I was hungry all the time. I was one of those sort of freaks in the in the industry that I was going into shows at like 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day and tons of carbs. And so for me, it was like constantly thinking about the next time I was going to eat, which I definitely didn't want to live that way for the rest of my life. So I was really open to exploring this because I, you know, for me, it was like, 
if this works and my cardiovascular numbers improve, maybe this is maybe this is the answer to a lot of you know, issues we're seeing as, as a whole. So I went through all this blood testing and it was actually interesting. I don't know if you guys have heard the term hyper responders. Mm. You've heard of the, yeah. yeah. So I was one of those. I basically, what that means is um, my cholesterol went off the charts. So I, <laughs> and it was quite scary because there was no information at the time on hyper responders. I just was um, exploring this myself and I, I got a test done called an NMR lipo profile test, which isn't your traditional total cholesterol test, which really doesn't tell you a whole lot of anything because mm-hmm. you're just looking at total numbers of LDL, HDL. It doesn't tell you particle size, quality of particles, all of these factors. It are you know your particles actually more atherogenic than not? So I went and took a deep dive. And for me, my numbers went um, through the roof. Where were they before and where did they end up going? So my number, I think my um, my cholesterol was around 200 or a little bit lower. And it, I was way over 350 oh, wow. for total. Big jump, yeah. But then my particle concentration went from around like 1,000 to way over 3,000. But uh, what was interesting is I was testing like CRP, so C-reactive protein, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially systemic inflammation in the body. Uh, we tested a variety of other factors, you know, triglycerides, insulin, things like that. So there's a lot of markers that were really great. So my inflammation tank through the floor. Uh, my triglycerides were super low. So all of these things that may potentially be the actual risk when you're looking at these sort of markers as a whole were great, but it was just that, and it was really interesting. And I was fortunate enough to be able to work with Dr. Peter Atia uh, on my blood work, which was really great because oh, he's one of the most amazing people on the planet when it comes to lipidology, especially and its relationship to the ketogenic diet. So we kind of um, just broke it all apart. And he he was sort of like, you know, you might have familial hypercholesterolemia, which a lot of doctors will throw out there, but you actually can get a genetic test for it to see if you in fact have it. And I did that. (laughs) I didn't have it. So I was like, this is so interesting. And for whatever reason, for me, um, a higher level of saturated fat specifically, because I literally when I go back to my bodybuilding days, I did 60 days of a high saturated fat based ketogenic diet. I did another 60 days of where I dropped my saturated fat under 20 grams and punched up my monounsaturated fats. Mm. I did like specific, you know, so I really was strategic in how I did it because there was no information out there at the time on this. And I really wanted to maybe help other people in the process as they transferred onto it. Um, And so we did a lot of testing and really it came down to, I went through months of blood testing and decided one day, you know what? Uh, I need to just, my coronary calcium screening was zero. My, I went through a carotid IMT scan. Everything was great, except for these numbers, for whatever reason, I was hypersynthesizing and absorbing cholesterol. So I just one day said, I'm stopping this. I feel good. I love this nutrition approach. My training's great. And it was about, I think, uh, recently, about six months ago or so, I went into my primary care doc and she's like, okay, we're going to do basic blood panel, total cholesterol. I'm like, just don't. Just don't. It's going to freak you out. I don't want to hear it. You're going to give me the statin talk and then we're going to have to go down this rabbit hole. And uh, anyway, so she actually ran the numbers in the NMR Lipo profile and it came back the best it has ever been. And I uh, think just normalize or I think my body just found homeostasis, I think because of the way I ate before uh, was so carb heavy. Mm -hmm. And you think about the effect of that on hormones and, you know, how that's all tied to cholesterol and everything. It took my body a second to really understand shell shock. Uh, Crazy. It was crazy. So anyways, that was a long winded answer to your question. (laughs) It's funny because high cholesterol numbers, of course, the total number doesn't mean nearly as much as, like you said, the particle size and right. what's all 
But higher numbers are also connected to longevity in a lot of people, like right. like reductions in Alzheimer's, uh, improvements in muscle mass and strength in the elderly. So I think it's uh, there's a lot more to it than we've been led to believe. Do you did you guys measure these numbers in the dogs as well, and looking at the lipid profiles and all that as well? Not so much the lipid profiles, but inflammation and and um, sort of your overall metabolic function, uh, but not so much lipids. Um, it, now in humans, uh, we did do some of those those uh, tests, and actually we had an early stage breast cancer study that we did at, um, actually out of Baton, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, which was in incredible study because these ladies were very early on, almost before you would essentially detect um, cancer on a mammogram, mm-hmm. uh, sort of where they were in terms of risk and all that for this breast cancer study. There was about 15 women and we said, okay, I had a, at the time experienced some weird stuff with my lipids. So I said, we have to include this in the mix so we can learn more about what's kind of going on. And there were some hyper responders in that. Um, for those, we lowered saturated fat, which seemed to help improve a little bit in terms of actual traditional standards of where uh, cholesterol should be, but really is that beneficial? So is the question. But these ladies, um, we also experienced some that had sort of that hyper response as well. Uh, But what's really interesting, it was a a cancer-focused study, and it was over 120 days. And these ladies at Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so eating out there and culture, Mm. you know, shrimp Mm. and grits and lots of yummy carbs. It was a massive like life soul food. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. And um, they actually combined lost over 300 pounds uh, in 120 days uh, just in following the diet. And then their lipids uh, over time started to improve. Now, could you can you talk about the, the effect it had on their breast cancers? Yeah, so we just, uh, we had used, uh, it was a blood test um, that we were kind of uh, using to sort of monitor progress, a blood test as well as um, sort of their overall health and their blood markers and things along those lines. And so uh, many of them actually went through that and uh, some of them came out negative for the specific blood test and thing, you know, they're doing great and continuing to follow the diet. But what was really cool is many of their, uh, many of their husbands. So we had this like party at the end of it, sort of like a party, like an end of study, like celebration. We make keto cakes and all kinds of fun things. Bacon and appetizers. And bacon, <laughs> yeah, lots of bacon, lots yeah. of butter. Yeah. And uh, everybody, no, that's not all that keto mm, is. Know, everybody thinks it Yummy. is, but yeah. Um, but everybody showed up and it was like, I hadn't seen these ladies because I was doing this out of Los Angeles. They were in Louisiana. I hadn't physically seen these ladies. And it was almost like, even though it was more of a cancer focused study, it was almost like an episode of the biggest loser, but you know, doing it the right, the mm, right way. Wow. Yeah. And they showed up and it was like, oh my gosh, not only had they lost a significant amount of weight, their skin was glowing, their hair was, they just looked so vibrant, but their husbands rolled in like, yeah, I've lost 25 pounds too, which <laughs> was really cool to see. Very, so. very cool. Now you're talking about how you, you guys are trying to educate. What are the methods of education? How are you guys getting the word out? Is it just through new media like YouTube and, and podcasts like this or are you guys going to, to specific places? Yeah, that's a great question. So for KetoPet, um, one uh, big resource for us is obviously social media. Um, so we do a lot of educational content there. Our website, uh, which has the ebook, which we update frequently, is also available. Podcasts like this, being able to actually talk about it or speaking engagements. So I spoke at a veterinarian conference uh, in Chicago in, uh, in uh, November so there's a lot of people who are really wanting to learn more about this because it's not something that's often talked about. 
And uh, so we do it through those means. And then uh, personally, I've uh, started an organization called Metabolic Health Initiative alongside Dr. Angela Poff and Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. Awesome. That, um, yeah, so we bring a scientific conference. We've hosted it the last three years. Um, the last two has been in Tampa. This year's in Los Angeles, actually next month. You guys should totally come. Mm. It's January right. 31st. And we bring in all the top scientists, top physicians, top thought leaders in the world together in four days of presentations, scientific poster sessions. So you'll see research, not just on the ketogenic diet, but a variety of metabolic therapies. So fasting, hyperbaric medicine, you name it, from around the world that some of it's not even been published yet. Um, and we really are passionate about using, it's called Metabolic Health Summit, using this as this educational platform to help push this movement forward and bring nutrition and metabolism into the conversation around human disease and performance. And as I mentioned to you earlier, we do have like three veterinarians speaking because our goal would be able to have like this whole, you know, four days of conference talks on the science for, for humans, but have like a whole animal segment to really bring to light, you know, their current issues and how we can maybe potentially resolve it with food. Yeah, like awesome. I was saying earlier, I think some of the, the, the advantages of doing it with pets is that you can control so much easier. I think it's so much easier to tell a pet owner, do this with your pet than it is to you know do this yourself or for yourself. Right. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the data and research that you, that you guys collect from all this information um, because I do think, and I, I don't, I, this is not a controversial statement, but I think our diet... Um, and lifestyle plays a major uh, role in, in both uh, getting cancer and then, of course, surviving it. So Huge role. Yeah. I would 100% agree with you. And I think that it's it's almost crazy to me when you're in the thick of sort of the, the scientific sort of space and you really know about all the research that's going on. It's hard to kind of come out and just understand how food has not been a bigger part of our, what we're, you know, all these Diseases. I mean, we know there's an incredible uh, online medical uh, clinic called Verda Health. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with it. Um, uh, Dr. Sarah Hallberg, if you've not heard of uh, her, she has an incredible TED Talk. You should definitely watch it. But she is a she's the medical uh, director of Verda Health. Dr. Jeff Volick, who's a researcher uh, primarily focusing on a, a lot of endurance and athletic based performance in the ketogenic diet. But they've started an organization where um, they're actually helping hundreds of type two diabetics with a ketogenic approach through its physician assisted. They actually each type two diabetic has a health coach with high touch points each day through a mobile app. They're reversing type two diabetes in a lot of people. They actually just had a, a clinical trial uh, year long, which they've extended uh, beyond just a year because it was so impactful. And about 60% of the people on the study, and if you think about compliance, 60% is a really good number really in right. terms of, you know, dramatically- Carving off probably 30% of the people aren't even doing it, right? <laughs> That's the what the ones that right. are actually following it. Right. Wow. I mean, if you can think about if we had some sort of, like I mentioned, like some sort of drug that uh, produce those same uh, statistics or numbers Everybody in a study. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so it, it's the information is out there. The research is being done. It's just, I think, having conversations like mm -hmm. this where we can really educate people and bring to light the evidence, not talk about who's right, who's wrong and mm -hmm. have a ridiculous ego contest, but let's actually talk about the science. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. to me. I had a family member who uh, passed away from cancer years ago. And I remember we went to the, I would go to the her oncologist appointments with her and I'm a fitness and health person. I'm doing all my own research. And her diagnosis was terrible. She had zero survival survival rate with the type of cancer she had. So here we are sitting with the oncologist. 
And I'm like, okay, well, obviously you're, the, the methods aren't going to work. I, I can, I know, you know, you already told me that chemo is probably not going to help and radiation is not going to help. What about diet? There's anything, well, just eat whatever you want. There's really nothing. I couldn't believe, you know, hearing that, that diet couldn't at least, even just getting yourself healthier, it, it would just make you feel better even if you were still not going to make it. And it's like they didn't, it was like, no, it's not going to do anything. It's either yeah. chemo, radiation, or or whatever. And it was really, really frustrating. I have a question uh, about the, you know, using the keto diet on pets. I'm starting to see uh, a movement. It's a little bit, I don't know, I think it's funny because uh, I, I think the way we feed our pets kind of mirrors the way we feed ourselves. I'm starting to see this vegan pet movement where oh, no. people are trying to put their pets and dogs on a vegan diet, which vegan cats, a purely vegan Hashtag diet, which, vegan cats. Yeah, yeah we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yes>. which, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't search that on Instagram. Yeah, well, and if horrible. you're vegan, you might want. To. Yeah, oh. and I think it's uh, first off, being purely vegan as a human is complicated and difficult enough. You have to be really, really structured and planned, and there's a lot of nutrients you may be missing. You want to supplement to do it for a pet. I think is even crazier, especially a, a pet like a cat. Yeah, <laughs> do you, are you guys getting any pushback from the vegans who are like, hey? Pets should be eating vegetables only. You know, I, I, I we haven't, which is interesting. Good. Like okay. personally, like what maybe like one or two people that are like, I can't believe you're feeding this to your dog, and it's just like, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people are pushing what they do on their animals, but not thinking about what's actually species appropriate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a. <laughs> I don't know. I can <laughs> not speaking on behalf of keto pet. I just can't believe that, you know, you really have to be careful about that because the bulk of that is carbohydrate yeah. and cats and dogs aren't meant to nosh on spinach. All day long. <laughs> I find it hilarious. Well, anyway, this has been very fascinating. Yeah. yeah. This has been so fun. Thank yeah. you. Great conversation. I really appreciate you coming in and talking about this. Uh, I think more research needs to be done. I would love to see statistics on cancer rates and survival rates in pets. I could not find it for the life of me online. I think that's, uh, I think that's terrible. Uh, we're kind of all in the dark. So uh, I, I look forward to some of the stuff that you guys bring to light. So I really appreciate you doing that. Yeah, no problem. And I don't know if people want to know where they can maybe find um, Keto Pet. I don't know if I mentioned maybe the website. Yeah, so we, we'll, we will actually do a full-on intro for you. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Even you'll give better. us everything. We'll hype you up. I was like, I'll tell you where you can find me. No. <laughs> um, no, that's great. And I really appreciate you guys having this conversation because it's so important. And the more of these that, you know, we can have is like a collective community that, you know, truly feel that food needs to be a big, part of our health equation, the better. So I appreciate what you guys do. Excellent. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.